Yeah, yeah, today's going to be a good day. Man, after that worship, sometimes I feel like, oh, why do I even get up here? Because we should just sing some more songs. Don't know if you felt that or not. But man, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to be able to lead us this morning. If you're new or you have just been here a couple weeks over the last several months, we're in a series called Devoted. And we're looking at the early church to see exactly what they did and what they didn't do to kind of build the church that it is today. So to kind of give you just a little background of what was going on, we're, we're going to be in Acts chapter two. This is kind of post Jesus. Jesus comes to earth. He lives his life. He dies on the cross. Uh, he, he, he resurrects from the dead. He stays around for a couple, a month, month and a half, and then he leaves his disciples. And there's only about 120 people actually following Jesus at the beginning of Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two. And so Peter uh, gets up on kind of this, the platform on the stage. He preaches his socks, sandals off, and 3,000 people convert and, and start following Jesus. It was this pretty radical, radical preaching. Uh, the disciples are probably like, dude, dude, Peter, like, why, why did you, you know, preach such a great message? Like, now we have a problem. We went from 120 to 3,000 church startup to mega church in the matter of seconds. Hey, Jerusalem, we have a problem. And the disciples kind of, kind of I imagine like they've been meeting in a room and they're all soaking wet because they just baptized 3,000 different people. And I imagine the scripture doesn't say this, but I imagine they're, they're in the room and going like, now, okay, now, now, now what do we do? I mean, before it's kind of mom and pop shop and now it's kind of mega church. What do we do? And you know, I mean, Thomas, Thomas is known to be doubting Thomas just because he doubted a man died and raised from the grave. Uh, he gets that nickname, a little, little unfair, but, but doubting Thomas is probably like, oh, this is probably too big. Uh, this is probably too good. Let's just, let's just leave. Uh, I was actually planning on leaving already and y'all can kind of work it out with you 10 or 11, but, I, but I'm leaving. And, and then maybe another disciple, Bartholomew, he, or Thaddeus, he, he was probably, he just said a couple things throughout the gospels that's mentioned. And Thaddeus probably spoke up and was like, ah, I don't know. Um, maybe we should just like lead them how Jesus led us. And I imagine the disciples were like, that's a great idea. I guess that's, that's great. Simple, but, but great. And so we have these like 3,000, 3,120 men and women deciding to follow Jesus. And then we hear about what their lifestyle looked in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, and they, this early church, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, church, and breaking bread in the homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So as, as we, we read this scripture, we're like, oh, okay, like, I, I, I kind of get it. This was the early church. They, they, they were generous. They, they loved to worship. They loved to pray. And we walked through these different things throughout these last several weeks. And we're like, yeah, it's, it's kind of obvious. I mean, if you like, uh, live a life of generosity, people are going to be attracted to it. If you live a life of worship and of praise, like, people are going to ask you why. If you live a life of prayer, we've got to believe that God is going to answer the prayer, but we don't know the exact formula of how they got there. But, but maybe just maybe the disciples looked around and were like, well, let's just be devoted to what Jesus was devoted to. And if we look back in, in scripture and if we look back at the different weeks of devoted that we've been talking about, week number one, we talked about being devoted to worship. And we realized that Jesus, like on his last few hours after the last supper, he walks out and before he walks out, he goes, hey, let's sing a hymn together. 
Let's worship together. Let's sing together. Jesus was devoted to worship. And then we talked about devotion to the Holy Spirit. We know at Jesus' baptism that he was baptized and then the dove, the Holy Spirit came down and Jesus was led throughout his entire ministry by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was devoted to it. Jesus was devoted to prayer. As we read the gospels, Jesus would, would do his thing. He would teach and he would preach and then he would get away and go, hey, look guys, let me, let me go away and kind of spend some time in prayer. Even his disciples looked at him one day and was like, dude, how do you pray? Will you teach us how to pray? And Jesus was like, yeah, let, 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 let me teach you the Lord's prayer. Jesus was de devoted to prayer. Jesus was devoted to the word because Jesus was the word. And Jesus knew scripture. He had memorized scripture. And, and the temptation between him and the devil, what did he do? He used the Bible. He used the Bible to, to fight off temptation. Jesus, man, he was devoted to the word. Jesus was devoted to fellowship, right? He hung out with 12 dudes. Like all day, every day, traveled together, ate together, you know, slept together. They, they did all these things together. And Jesus was devoted to generosity. There's times throughout scripture where, where Jesus would, where he would give uh, people different things. There's a time uh, in scripture that we're going to read about today where Jesus actually fed thousands of people. Whatever was Jesus's, was, was, was his crews, was his, was his disciples, was, were the, the people's. And Jesus was so generous, he, he gave his entire life. And so we look at the, the generosity and we look at the devotion of the early church and, and it starts making a little bit sense, even in, in my mind of going like, man, maybe they just lived like the, the, the 90s bracelets. Like what would Jesus do? You remember those? Anybody have any bracelets from, from the 90s? What would Jesus do? And maybe that was the method. Like what would Jesus do? I, I think it's a little bit different than that. Um, I, I think what did Jesus do? Would maybe the slogan WDJD? The disciples were looking back and going, not what would Jesus do, but no, what has Jesus done? Not, not what Jesus would do, and that kind of gets weird. I don't know, but let's look back at the history, the decisions, the lifestyle of Jesus and actually act on what did Jesus do? And one of the things Jesus did, one of the things that he was devoted to, man, he was devoted to reaching people. I mean, hence Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth. He was devoted to building a relationship with us. Uh, as he lived life, he wasn't just going, hey, I'm here for all mankind. As he would meet people in the streets, he would stop and he would look them in their eyes and have conversations. And he would tell them, hey, I am for you. I am devoted to this mission of people. I think one of the things that made the church, made us so successful early on was their devotion to the Lord adding to their number. In Acts 2.47, it says, and praising God, this is the people and having favor with all people, having the approval, the support of all people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The people had favor because they were introduced to Jesus. And the city changed because the people changed. The disciples had to begin to remember the stories of Jesus intersecting and colliding with individual lives that just happened months, maybe years before. We know that Jesus' ministry here on earth was only three years, so, so it wasn't so far removed that they were like, you remember that story back when I had to walk in the snow? It was just a few weeks or a few months or maybe even a year. And, and they had to have known that, like, man, Jesus isn't just satisfied in saving you. He wants you to save your city. They had to remember the story back in, in Mark chapter 5. The disciples were present. We catch it in Mark chapter 5 where it was Jesus and his disciples and they interact with an interesting man. It says this, it says, they came to the other side, they, the disciples and Jesus, they're in a boat. They came to the other side of the sea, the, the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, note, 
disciples didn't get out. Cool. Immediately, they're met with him out of the tombs, the cemetery, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, swear to me that you won't hurt me or torment me. Again, the disciples had to been thinking these 3000 people had just gathered around in New Testament church. And they're looking around going, how are we going to lead these people? And one of the disciples were like, do you remember that story of the crazy man? You remember what Jesus did there? And it's the story. You had just read it where this, this Jesus and the disciples, they get, Jesus gets out of the boat. There's a dude running from the cemeteries, bloody and naked. And the disciples were like, oh, I'm getting back out in the water a little bit. Like, Jesus, you, you can handle this one, right? And this man falls on his knees before Jesus and goes, man, swear to God that you won't hurt me. Have you ever been to a, in a place like that? Where your life has just been so painful, the decision and after decision, relationship after relationship, and you're looking up at Jesus and go, are you just going to be another one? Is this going to be another moment for me where I got to gather up all my baggage, gather up all my pain? Because Jesus, man, everyone else is harming me. You're probably going to do it too. I mean, this, this man, he lived in the tombs. The scripture said that he would wander down into the city and be like, what's up, guys? Who knows what he would do? And strong men, men like Stephen Gibbs, would, would, would drag this man back up into the cemetery, into the tombs, and he would chain them to the tombs. And at night and day, the dude would scream out in pain and in agony. He would grab rocks and begin to sharpen rocks and cut himself. It just wasn't worth it to live anymore. He had no friends. He had no family. He had no hope. He had no mission. And then Jesus, and Jesus showed up on the shore and he saw him from afar. And who knows if this man had heard the story of Jesus before Jesus arrived. Obviously there's some kind of context. Something was happening with this man and Jesus, the savior of the world, and Jesus lifts him up. Maybe wipes the tears from his eyes. And, and I, don't, I don't know exactly how he did it, but the man was demon possessed. And I don't know how Jesus grabbed the demons or spoke into the demons for the demons to to go into pigs on a nearby hillside. There was 2,000 pigs on a cliff and there was Farmer John and Farmer Joe doing what farmers do with pigs and then all of a sudden, massive squeal, 2,000 pigs jump off a cliff. Can you imagine the scene? I mean, you're there. You're hanging out with the pigs and they go one by one. Like, all right, cool, single file, guys. Like, after me. There had to have been a last pig, right? Like 1,999 pigs are floating in the bottom of this this water and the guys, the last pigs like, all right, <laughs> just jump too. And the farmer John and farmer Joe, they, they look in, they're looking at their pigs. They're, they're all dead. Their business, they just have to go bankrupt. Their livelihood's gone. They see this man talking to demon possessed boy and they run back into the town and, and Jesus is surrounded by these men going, get out of here. You're causing dis destruction, not to demon possessed man, but to Jesus. Jesus, you're, you're causing too much stuff. Can you leave? We catch back up in verse 18, and it says this. It says, as he, Jesus, was getting back in the boat. Disciples, come pick me up now. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. 
And he, Jesus, did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And the demon-possessed man, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The story's over. There was this man who had no hope. This man who had no friends, this man who had no family, Jesus kind of gave him some hope, gave him some relationship. And the man begs Jesus, let me hop in the boat with you. Can't I just be the 13th disciple? You're going to lose one anyway. And Jesus was like, no, no. And the, the guy, if I was the guy, and I'm like, well, what was all that for? Was that just for show? Your disciples got to see you do some cool things, some pigs and some demons. Is, is that the thing? But, but, but this man, the scripture says that he went away and he proclaimed. He shouted out. He spoke it out. He told the story of his story. He said the people marveled. Everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. When this man began to tell his story, everyone jaw dropping like, oh, you're that dude? I mean, is there anybody in your life that you're really afraid to go back to and like, you know, reinitiate a relationship because they know how you were back in the day, day when nobody else knows how you were? I mean, this man, he knew like, oh, that's the demon. That's the naked. That's the bloody. That, that's that guy. And he strolls back into his city. He strolls back into his high school reunion. He strolls back into the streets, into the workplaces where he used to work. And he was just like, hey, I, I'm, I'm the guy. And they're like, well, you're, you're the guy? Like you're screaming bloody naked guy. And he's like, yeah, yeah I'm the guy. And I, I don't know really what happened, but I, I, I fell on my knees and I begged Jesus not, not, not to hurt me. And so, man, this Jesus, I don't know much. I don't have the scripture memorized. I haven't been to church enough times to be like, you know, pushed out and proclamated as a missionary. But, but I do know this, this Jesus, he, he saved me. And look at me. I, I look different. I talk different. I have a different mission because of this one man's story. You know, a story isn't a story unless you tell the story. A story isn't a story unless you tell the story. You don't know the story of a book until you read the story of the book. You don't know someone's story unless they tell you your story. You may make believe a story, but a story is not a story until you tell your story. And I believe this man, he had such conviction his life had been so transformed that he had, he had to do it. And everywhere he went, he told the story. Every Chick-fil-A he walked into, hey, remember that guy? That's me. Every piggly, piggly wiggly he walked into, pigs, 2,000 pigs. <laughs> he told his story. He stopped people on the street and goes, hey, you got to hear my story. Look at the scars. I used to self-harm, but not anymore. Hey, let me talk about my past, I, but I'm not that man anymore. I mean, we're speculating what this man did, but, but he had to do it, right? Because you do it. I do it. We realize we've been saved by Jesus, right? And that's what we do. Or maybe we don't. But, but this man, he, he had... He had to have done it. And then, and then Jesus, just a couple weeks, maybe months later, Jesus shows up to Decapolis, the place where he sent the man. And we read it in, in, in Mark chapter 6. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus. And they told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place 
and rest a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away into a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns from Decapolis and got there ahead of them. I mean, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, Jesus, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Did you catch what happened? Disciples, Jesus gathers them all together. John the Baptist actually had just gotten martyred. They had just come back from their missionary journeys as disciples. And and Jesus kind 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 of gathers them all together and like, let's go rest for a little while. Let's just get away for a second in this place called Decapolis. And as they were kind of in a, in, a solid, in, in a place of solitude and in a place that was from outside of the city, men and women began to, to, to witness Jesus and see Jesus and they began to gather around Jesus. And Jesus didn't go, hey, time out, guys. Like I'm taking a break real quick. I'm, I'm kind of tired. Side note, Jesus never takes a break. He's never off the clock. Even when you're praying to your heart's content, even when you need him the most and you feel like he's, he's not there and you're all alone, he is never off. And so Jesus turns to the people. If you keep reading the story, it says 5,000 men gather around Jesus as he's preaching and as he's teaching. Question, why were 5,000 men there? Why does the Bible say that 5,000 men showed up to hear Jesus teach? Could it be? I mean, could it possibly be because one man shared his story? Could, could, could it possibly be that this demon-possessed man, again, he was down and he was out and he stepped into the city and goes, guys, y'all don't understand. I used to be that way, but I'm a new dude. Oh, what? That, there he is. <laughs> There's the Jesus. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I recognize him. That's the man that saved me. That's the man that rescued me. That's the man that gave me new hope. That's the, gave me, the man that gave me a new mission. That's the man that saved me. And they're like, well, that, that, that's, that, that's the man? And he's like, that's the man. How do we get to the man? I just walk towards the man. I ran to the man, but maybe you should walk to the man. And 5,000 men run to the man. And they look at Jesus. And Jesus begins to teach and to preach. And Jesus was preaching a long time throwback Joey McLaughlin. People started getting hungry. <laughs> and they're looking around and probably one of the dudes was like, hey, Matthew, can you tell your rabbi just to have a little intermission? Can, can we go back and get some food? And so the disciples, you can read it in Mark chapter six, they, they approach Jesus and they're like, hey, they're hungry. Let's, let's send them back home and they'll come back. And Jesus is like, no, 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 feed them. And the disciples are like, well, we don't have food, Jesus. There's a lot of men and they're hungry. Jesus is like, well, let's go gather up some stuff. And so they go to the little boy and they grab the fish and the bread and they show the food and bread back to Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, this won't even feed us. Jesus goes, well, we'll just start passing it out. The disciples are like, you're crazy. You're losing all of your momentum. And the disciples begin to pass out the food. And people are like, can I have seconds? Can I have a little bit more bread? Can I have another helping of fish? And the disciples are like, yeah, Jesus told us to. And they begin to pass out all of this food. And it says that every man had enough food. And there was 12 basketfuls of food left over. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and just like, That's, what did I do? What, 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 what would Jesus do? Well, no, no, what, what did I just do? 
He fed 5,000, possibly 15,000 people. What if every man had brought a child and every child had brought his mother to experience one of the biggest miracles of all time throughout the New Testament? Because of one man. Church, what's your story? What's the thing that you've walked through? What's the thing, the thing that's knocked you down? What is the thing that has consumed your time, but somehow Jesus has rescued it for it, rescued you from it? Many of you guys know my story, that I was raised in a broken home. I was raised by addict parents. I left my mom's at 11 to go live with my dad. And as I left my mom, I left a relationship with my mom. My mom went on a, a crazy scene that neglected me. I put all my faith and all my trust into my stepmom going, hey, you are my mother. When I was 22, she had an internet affair and moved to England. There's been times in my life that you know, this is my story, not your story, but I can tell you that, that Jesus is way bigger and way greater than just a mom or a dad. Yeah. That because I was raised in a broken family didn't mean that I'm going to be broken the rest of my life. Because Jesus redeemed me. Jesus gave me hope. My dad tragically died just three months ago. And just the idea of being, uh, being a father without a father. But, but I know that, that because my dad is gone doesn't mean I don't have a father in heaven that's going to teach me everything that I need to know. Yes, yeah. See, I, I have this hope. I have this story that, that you don't have or you may have. And because of my story, my story is going to reach people if I share my story. What's your story? Have you walked through a financial hardship that just crippled you? And man, if you, if you talk about that, you're going to lose all trust from everyone. But somehow Jesus has given you hope. Have you been raised without a father? But somehow Jesus has given you a mission and given you other men in your life to help develop you and pour into you. Have you walked through divorce? And you're afraid, especially at church, to go and go, I've been there, I've walked through it but you realize how, how Jesus can, can redeem you in the midst of a broken relationship? What's your story? Depression, anxiety, self-harm? Man, I wish, I mean, I wish uh, at some point, man, I could walk across the city and just tell my story day in and day out, but my story is not gonna have the impact of the early church. What, what happened with the early church is that everyone told their story. It wasn't just Ryan's story. It wasn't just a few people's story, but, but everybody was hitting the streets. And they're going, man, this is awkward, and this is weird, and I don't know you, but let me tell you about all the baggage and junk in my life and how God restored it and how God redeemed it. And through that story, people are going to go like, well, how, how did you get redeemed? And you can go, that's the guy. This, this Jesus is the man. Let, let, me, let me tell you about Jesus and what he's done for me and through me and what he did for you. And if, if we really want to be a church that mimics the church in the first century, I mean, we got to tell our story. But the, the problem is, man, we, we just think we're a Cinderella story. You know, you know the story of Cinderella, right? Where there's a Cinderella, she's down, she's out, she's oppressed. She wears rags for clothes and her fairy godmother grants her this wish to go see the prince. And she gathers up and she gets a dress. She wears the white gloves and, and she meets the prince. 
but she can only hang out with the prince for just a, a few hours, uh, just a short time, because if she doesn't get back before midnight, her carriage turns into a pumpkin. She hangs out. She has the time of her life reached up from oppression on her knees and, and the prince like picks her up and gives her this purpose and this mission that she's never given before, but, but she goes back home. And what she faces when she goes back home is wrath. What Jesus asks us to do when we go back home is to witness. And so many of us, man, we, we meet Jesus. Side note, he's not the prince, he's the king. He's rescued you. He didn't just give you a block of time and tell you to go home before it gets messy. But he's rescued you. And he picks you up. And he goes, don't go back home to a home of wrath. Don't go back to your work and be scared of the, the political ramifications of your story and of God. Don't go back to your neighborhood and be scared of what people are going to think about you because of now you believe in God. But go back home and be a witness. Stop acting like Cinderella. And let's live on mission to tell our story. Several months ago, I got my hair cut at Great Clips and met a hairdresser. And man, I, I typically, when people ask me what I do for a living, I don't just jump into the pastor role because it freaks people out. People don't know how to handle it. But for some reason that day, I was just like, hey, yeah, I'm a pastor. And she used to be Buddhist and, and she turned her life to Jesus a couple of years ago. But, and I asked her, hey, have you ever been? And she goes, baptized? And I go, yeah. And she goes, I, I want to get baptized. And I'm like, let's do it. And just a few months ago, she came in and she got baptized. And the last couple of weeks, I'm going, like, the last couple of months, I'm going, like, man, man, where is she? She hasn't come every Sunday. It was this is kind of like this one hit wonder thing that like, Oh, too good to be true. And so I'm having a little of the skepticism in my mind and I go get a haircut yesterday. I sit down in her chair. The first thing she says to me goes, Ryan, it's been 89 days. And I was like, for what, what? Because I was baptized 89 days ago. And I was like, that's great. That's awesome. High five. She goes, no, 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 no. And I've ha I haven't had a sip of alcohol in 89 days. Yeah. She goes, baptism changed me. I've been to outpatient stuff. I got wild when I would drink. But when I made this decision to make my walk with Jesus public, I also made a decision not to drink alcohol. And she goes, and my friends are abandoning me. I've had to trade parties to parks where I go hike by myself. My, my, my boyfriend's kind of going, this is not the lifestyle I want to live. Her story is costing her something, but it's, it's not costing bad things. At some point, the people in her life are going to turn back to her and go, hey, wait, 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 wait. Tell me about that time. And she goes, hey, there's this man. His name is Jesus. He's the king. He's the Messiah. He's the savior of the world. And he rescued me. I didn't deserve it. But this is my story. Do you want me to introduce you to him? And at some point, her story is going to continue the movement of the early church. Church, if we want to be a movement, if we want to be a church that impacts our generations now and to come, please share your story. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much. Thank you so much for this time, for this place, for these people. I pray, Jesus, that you don't allow our story to fill us with shame. 
But Jesus, you, you give us this undeserved conviction to share our story, knowing and believing that you're gonna show up and you're gonna do something massive because of us sharing our story. He didn't send, you didn't, Jesus, you didn't send the man to go out and be alone and share his story. You showed up to where he shared his story. And I pray, Jesus, you show up to the people we share our story with. Jesus, thank you for all you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.